Light Warrior Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Can, author of the number one bestseller, Guide to Healing Chronic Pain, A Holistic Approach. And you can join my cri- tribe, rather, not tribe, tribe at Light Warrior Network on Facebook and get your free Light Warrior Empowerment Kit at lightwarriorsupport.com. Today I'm super excited because today I'm interviewing a very special guest. I met her through the Wellness Leadership Academy, and she is one of my mentors. And like me, she is a sensitive soul, and not only a sensitive soul, but a sensitive soul high achiever. And today we're going to be talking about dealing with stress, fatigue, and burnout as a sensitive soul high achiever. So let me tell you a little bit more about my guest today. So Dr. Elizabeth Cheravati is an integrative fertility and women's health expert and the founder of Two Rivers Health, a family care clinic devoted to improving the health of the next generation through evidence-based preconception, pregnancy, postpartum, and pediatric care. She's a graduate of the University of Guelph and the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto. As a sensitive high achiever, sensitive soul herself, Dr. Liz is most passionate about helping women globally to embrace their feminine power so they can create their own definition of having it all. And I just absolutely love that. So today we're going to show you how um, sensitive souls can create the calm, clarity, connection, confidence that we want in our lives. And a little bit about the research about the sensitivity trait, which is going to be really interesting, um, so that we as sensitive souls can get back, um, you know, from life, like the love and the livelihood that we desire. So it's not just about, um, you know, our uh, general lives, but really about how do we as sensitive souls own that high achiever in a way that serves us and the world, because I know I'm one of them. So without further ado, welcome, Dr. Liz. Ah, I'm so excited. Hi. Hi, Dr. Karen. It's so exciting to be here. Oh, my gosh. This is so cool that you're here on the show. And by the way, I did want to let uh, let our listeners know that if you want to ask Dr. Liz a question about your own personal situation, you can do that. A little later in the show, we're going to have folks be able to call in. So that number is 818-514-1190 and just hit 1 so we know your hand is up. Again, it's 818-514-1190 and just hit the dial pad so we know you have a question. And I will also uh, open up the chat as well if all goes well with the flash here. I think it's going to work today. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, Dr. Liz, tell us about you. Like, how did you know you were a sensitive soul, like, you know, how did you know you were a high achiever, and how did you become a naturopathic physician? Like, what was your journey? Okay, sure. Well, um, I think that I um, first probably heard the term sensitive soul or the idea of being a highly sensitive person through my best friend, who herself is a sensitive soul and uh, had, had read an awesome book, uh, by Elaine Aaron, who who is the pioneer in in this research on what does it mean to be sensitive, and uh, so so she highlighted the book to me, and I read it, and I thought, oh my goodness, somebody gets me, and it's okay that you know I feel so um, almost pushed out of my balance by all these factors. And I'd always been, you know, people would tease me that I was picky or um, that I was right. really specific or that I asked too many questions or, you know, um, and my dad very lovingly would call me his little hothouse flower uh, because, you know, I had to have <laughs> the right temperature and I didn't like drafts on me and I, had, um, I didn't like certain radio stations and sounds and... <laughs> 
so I, I guess I, it just was a lifelong experience. And what led me into naturopathic medicine was really that uh, being a sensitive child and going through a number of uh, challenges as a child, particularly um, through my parents' separation and all of the issues that came up there, uh, I realized through being cared for by a naturopathic doctor who's still my mentor, thank God, uh, you know, she, she really carried me through and helped my body to be resilient and my mind to be resilient through those years. And uh, by the time I was about 15, I stopped and I thought, gosh, you know, I don't know where I'd be without Joan's help for me. And I decided at that moment that I would, that I would be embracing this as a career. And so I feel very fortunate that I discovered that at a young age, you know, what I'd be doing after high school and uh, for my career. And it's, it's really developed from there. Ooh, neato. That is awesome that you had a mentor early in life. So that all that, you know, struggle that so many of us go through without that kind of help um, yeah. that you were able to, like, quickly, you know, address that at a young age. Neat. Wow. Yeah. Very cool story. Yeah. And- yeah. So, like, I can remember a few a few things that, um, you know, when I was first realizing the depth or extent of my sensitivity, I really resented it. I really didn't like it. It felt like a mm-hmm. pretty, it felt very limiting. Uh, for example, in university, um, I felt by Thursday night, I was so done. I was just done. I had nothing left to give, and I would have classes or labs on Fridays, and I would feel so anxious that I had to even show up for that, you know, and be out in the world. And that was, uh, I remember talking to Joan about that. I was like, Joan, why? Why can my friends seem to go out on Thursday night and Friday night and Saturday night, and they're still getting, you know, the grades that they want, and they still seem pretty cool about it. And I I just couldn't, and I hated that I had that limitation. So I think like a lot of sensitive souls, we, we first feel quite handicapped or compromised by our our levels of sensitivity, and then we learn how to transform them into gifts. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's beautiful. And and what about, um, now you specialize in your clinic, you know, we talked about preconception, pregnancy, postpartum. I know there's a lot of folks that have come to you so-called infertile uh, that have now mm-hmm. have babies, which is so exciting. So how did you special end up specializing in that field? Oh, a great question. Well, um, I think it was because um, there was a part of me that got very um, – very inspired to to support the entire transformation of a woman through um, from preconception into motherhood, and because I was very passionate about children's health. And in my final year of naturopathic medicine, I had a pediatrics rotation, and I started to realize because in naturopathic college we look specifically at etiology: where does this illness or syndrome come from? Where was the real beginning? Where was the real trigger? And if you are a sensitive person, you will know that there might be times in your life that you have never felt well since. They really impacted you. And they, that something happened at that point in time, whether it was a trauma or an event in your life or uh, maybe a virus that you came down with, but something felt like it took you out. And when things were happening in children's health, we would look back as far as the birth 
and even the mother and the, even the pregnancy, the mother's health in pregnancy. And at that time, this was several years ago, and we didn't have the word epigenetics anywhere in medical school, but right, we do exactly. now, right? And epigenetics is that in, interaction of the environment, which could mean energetic, it could mean physical environment, it could mean toxin exposure, it could mean stress or fear in moms, and we would see events that happened during the pregnancy and or at the birth that affected from that point onward in that baby's life, and the mother and the baby together. For example, a traumatic birth leads to perhaps difficulty with breastfeeding or um, an unplanned C-section leads to depression because the mom feels so disappointed either in herself, in her power, in her ability to bring a baby into the world, or it wasn't what she expected and so on. Even the way that a physician would could look at you during your birth could be enough to like, change the entire energy in the room. Mm. And so I became very interested in helping moms at the birth as a doula and then I realized, oh, gosh, we've got to help prepare her from the time she's pregnant. And then I realized, oh, my goodness, we have this entire year of preconception that the influences on both mom's and dad's health are going to be captured in the DNA genetic blueprint of this child. And whether you believe that there's straight-up DNA and, and physical material that creates a child and or soul that chooses to come and inhabit in that space, there is a uh, tremendous and highly evidence-based um, impact of health of both parents, preconception, and of course of mom during pregnancy that impacts on that entire child's well-being for their life. Like we're talking about risk of serious chronic diseases that is identified to start preconception and in pregnancy, like from depression and anxiety to schizophrenia. It's, it's, we have an unprecedented amount of knowledge about this, but hardly anybody's talking about it. And for the women who are sensitive in particular, they're going to experience these, these things more richly, which means they have the potential to be either even more uplifting than average or way more traumatizing. Uh, depending on the circumstances and how she's supported and how she how how she's nourished during that time frame. Oh, that makes so much sense. And my sense is that the quote unquote sensitive souls that there are increasing numbers of those, uh, and so the children that that are being born today are increasingly sensitive, and that's a good thing, not a bad thing. I I would. I would have to agree, I mean, just anecdotally in my practice and um, working, with the, working with the babies and the infants when they're born, and it's, it's miraculous, every single one of them, and you just feel, uh, you just feel the, the wisdom of their soul. And they, uh, I mean, we take such extra care when we're working with children and infants because we want to create that very empowered, respectful experience when, they're taking, when their bodies are being looked at or you know when things are being investigated or they're being assessed in a healthcare context that could be very invasive and overwhelming for a sensitive child um, even if nothing hurts or nothing is traumatic in the space it's just the intensity of you know this being looked at can be too much right <laughs> oh yeah absolutely so, 
<laughs> right? And 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 um, the intensity of, well, my parent has brought me here for something, and I'm, it's you know it's new, and um, so we just want to make sure that it feels gentle and it feels. We always ask permission, and we tell them what's going to happen, and we tell them that's going to be fun. And if they have questions, they can participate, and we make sure that it, it's nicely lit and it's clean and there's toys and it smells nice, and uh, that we have that we have that we can create that imprint of how health care and self care can feel, uh, because within um, you know, within each of us, especially when we're sensitive, when we are trespassed upon, um, even energetically, this can have tremendous mm-hmm. health effects on our health. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I don't remember it at all, but my mom told me around age three that I had to have some very painful urogenital procedures because I would have a repeated um, urinary tract infection, so they had to put a tube up my urethra, and I'm sure that wasn't fun at all. She could hear me scream. Right. And I'm right. not a screamer, right. so I, mean, I was pretty quiet, right. quiet kid. So I'm sure that was very traumatic. And you know, we back then, you just we didn't really think about sensitive children, or I mean, no, anything like that. So yeah, p- kids can go through all sorts of stuff in the medical uh, arena, and um, that I really enjoyed uh, kids. I, I I was not able to have my own, but because um, I have other jobs to do, I guess, in this lifetime but I always enjoyed um, children and then really meeting them where they are and just seeing how they shift and change and the, you know instead of forcing things down them so yeah 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 very cool well your patients are so fortunate <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you, Karen. Like you in their corner it's so amazing um, so share with us maybe a little bit more um, any, you know, what you were mentioning before, a little like a little bit of research about sensitive, sensitivity and um, just so yeah. folks can know that, uh, yeah, that'd be great. That it's real? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's real. <laughs> uh, so, so Elaine Aaron, as I mentioned, as the author of The Highly Sensitive Person and a number of books that follow the, the uh, um different populations, including uh, around children being sensitive as well. So so she pioneered the research, the sociological and psychological research around this trait. And she found that approximately uh, 20% of the population is highly sensitive. And she discovered that through her own, I would say, contrasting experience, as she describes it, between how she... Uh, experiences her experienced her marriage relationship versus her husband, and the different needs that presented in that, and, and she became curious about it from an academic perspective. And um, it's very validating. It's a very validating read. Um, it's it's a it's a fairly quick read, and I think that each your listeners would probably find themselves in there. Uh, but what it means is, is it's probably a combination of, um, of it's probably genetic is what is what it came down to. Um, although we know from you know this research was done a few decades ago, but we know now that there's a role of epigenetics that is that is uh, you know six to ten times greater than just the genome alone in terms of the flexibility, let's say, of the genetic genetic expression. And what happens with people who are sensitive is that can show up in all of the layers of our being. So that could be physical sensitivity, for example, 
Uh, you're very sensitive to drafts or temperatures, like I described I have, have been, or um, you may not tolerate substances. You may react to substances very differently than average, than the average population. You know, with all the studies we have on substances like caffeine, alcohol, different pharmaceuticals, you'll, you're probably, if you're sensitive, you'll probably have, you know, more, more intense reactions to those substances. For example, when I'm, when I'm going through a cleanse program with my clients, um, I will go off coffee, and my husband will literally say, you are a better wife when you are off coffee. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and he says it with love, and I, I, I get it, because the caffeine alone is a stimulant, and it, when people are sensitive, what that really means is they are processing all the stimuli around them and in them at a rich level to the extent that it can be overwhelming. Rich. They're processing it richly. Mm, interesting. So there's, there's a depth and a complexity and a potential for overwhelm to that. We can call it the nervous system or, you know, we could call it your soul, but there's a tendency for overwhelm. Meanwhile, on the flip side, sensitive people have huge capacity they have huge capacity to create, to be leaders, to be wise counsel, to be incredible parents, to be highly tuned in to their needs, to enable to them to optimize their health and well-being, and also to achieve the success that they look for in their lives. And I think for you know folks like you and I who have gone through years of academic training, uh, we will have we have worked on a certain model to adapt to our sensitivities. So for some people, they end up turning to substances to kind of numb the richness of that life experience, especially if it's stressful or negative. And uh, for others, they may develop pathologies. Some develop headaches. I developed an eating disorder in my 20s. Um, There were all kinds of pressures that I didn't know. I didn't have any skills to deal with it. Because I just mm-hmm. thought that I was weaker. I just thought that I was, yep, you know, I, I was weaker and I couldn't handle it. I didn't have the, you know, the grit. And there are probably careers that, well, and, you know, I'm, I'm surprised every day how many sensitive people show up in all kinds of careers that even in my own biases I wouldn't have expected, like police work police and military. Person. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, or paramedic, and I couldn't even imagine myself being in those situ- types of situations, but everyone's levels of sensitivity will be individualized to them because, again, it's, it's uh, a complex genetic um, factors that um, ultimately create the baseline for that sensitivity, and that's why I want to start as early as possible with a person or a population or a family in their lives to intercept and nurture and ho- like hold space in, in health and well-being for them, to not only have their sensitive areas not kind of take them out, but to also help them train into that as a gift. And that mm. comes across beautifully with children um, because some of the children that I see are seers. They see, they see beyond the physical realm. Right. And a lot of them are very scared of that. 
And so helping them on an energetic level to acknowledge, like, this is not a disease. Like, this is not, you know, let's help you with the nightmares and the fears and also help you to be someone who can hold that insight without it being so stressful and taxing on your body that you get sick. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. I love it. it. I mean, I know my a lot of students are on the call and clients of mine are on the call today, and they're like, oh, you sound like Dr. Karen. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. resonate very similarly mm-hmm. on those things. And I, I remember, you know, I don't get a lot of kids now um, in my practice. I, you know, um, have gone away from regular family practice. and uh, But I love, you know, treating teenagers and the millennials and, and that age. Um, and I know sometimes people have come in with their kids thinking there's something wrong with them. You know, why yeah. Why are they acting out? Why, you know, in this one particular case, this young, um, you know, teen was, was hitting his, his younger sister and they were thinking, oh, we're going to ship him off somewhere, you know. But but this was a very conscious parent. So she didn't, she knew there was something else but wasn't sure what to do with them. So the first mm-hmm. thing is this kid doesn't want to be in my office, right? <laughs> it's because mm-hmm. it's like you're in a doctor's office. There must be something wrong with you, you know? But, yeah. you know, the first thing I said was that, you know, was about, you know, accepting that he is a sense of soul and these gifts. And when the energy gets too big, um, then mm-hmm. it has to go somewhere. And he just needs, you know, yeah. like like Star Wars, he needs some tr- Jedi training. And he definitely resonated with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And was able to do a few, you know, some strategies. So at that point, uh, afterwards, they they didn't have any problems, you know, with him. And when he was getting to that boiling point, he could communicate, "Hey, mom, you know, can you spray me? We had this clearing spray, so can you spray yeah. me? You know." And then she would ask him to spray her, so it would empower him to help. And uh, that went yeah. really, really well. So I think it's really oh, cool beautiful. that you're doing this with with kids, and we need, you know, they really need this. This is so awesome. Oh yes, it's, it's that's a beautiful case. Yes, that's that's lovely, and it can be that transformative. That moment in that family's life could change the entire trajectory of how things mm-hmm. roll out for them. Yeah, and when you you know, and I like to tell stories. I said, you know, right now it, it seems like this is not working in the modern world, but you know, if you know this was uh, you know tribal days, your son would be the sage you know, and the most revered person in the entire tribe because he could see and feel things way beyond what other people can. And people will come to him for that, and he wouldn't be expected to hunt. He wouldn't be expected to do the dishes or the laundry or anything, (laughs) you know, (laughs) because other people would take care of that, you know. But his job would be to see and protect the tribe. And and so when, you know, when the kids hear that, they're like, oh, cool, you know, like, I'm not weird. I'm just, you know, so it's, it's, and that's, yeah. uh, you know, that's what their role really, and they can be. So tell us a little bit about, you know, being a sensitive high achiever. Uh, we're at high risk mm-hmm. for stress, fatigue, and burnout if we don't have some strategies. So um, tell us a little bit yeah. more about that and some of the, maybe some advice around that. Sure. We're, uh, I kind of dealt with that in a really hard way that, um, that, that was a lived experience on my part. And, um, and one of them was... Um, where a few years ago I decided to open my own practice and my clinic was going to be a place that was really honoring to this whole concept of sensitivity and of epigenetics and of building a future healthy generation. And I had that vision and I wanted to feel exceptionally good in that space, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And I knew that I wanted that for myself and my team. And then if we felt that, then, of course, the patients would feel that when they would come in. 
Right. And I am engaged with a uh, a business deal, and I was very novice at doing this. I had practiced for several years, but I hadn't really done the, the business hat role, and I, I got caught up in a deal that was very, very bad in the end uh, for me, and um, we realized months and tens of thousands of dollars in that the whole... Uh, the whole pra- the whole design could not even even physically fit within the space that we had leased, and uh, it was it was financially and emotionally devastating. And wow. I felt absolutely like de- devastated. I was, felt humiliated. I felt completely dumb, like so naive. How could I have missed this? Um, I was. I had been experiencing physical symptoms, but I wrote them off. So in that time, I had I had definitely had a brand new insomnia, which I'd never had before. I would wake up with my heart pounding. I was having bad dreams. Again, I'd never really had that before, and it was happening for months straight. And it took me to kind of see it with the left brain, you know, the left brain version of things, to stand in that space and, you know, look at the plans and it, like it actually cannot physically fit, um, and to to admit it, to admit that something mm. in me knew this wasn't right, and I just oppressed it, and I was just like pushed through because that's the model that high achievement runs on. Right. right. That's how we got through university, medical school. That's how we started yep. practices, and, and you know we're leaders of people's healthcare. Huge responsibility. And um, built businesses to a certain t- to a certain extent, um, but I felt uh, for someone who had you know had a high level of a success and that people looked up to as a leader, I felt completely shattered that I let everybody down. I had no place to, to fall back on. I had no savings. I had you know I had no options. <laughs> I lost associates, wow. and I I um. I, I went into burnout, and I, the, I remember that was a January that, that really f- took full on, and I normally January is, you know, like a lot of high achievers, a goal-setting month. It's full of inspiration. It's full of planning out your calendar, <laughs> doing what you're going to do mm-hmm. for the year, and getting really excited, and creating new programs, and I had none of that, and nor could, nor could I even work to the same capacity. I said to my husband, I have, I have to book half my calendar out this month, I can't handle it, and I can't, I couldn't even imagine seeing, like, two patients in a day. It was so fried, and I thought to myself, I'm laying in bed, and I thought, if I told my family doctor what's going on, she would care about me, but she would tell me that I'm depressed, and she would say, do you want an antidepressant? And I thought, I'm not depressed, and I thought, oh, my gosh, for years, I have been talking to patients about adrenal fatigue, and here I am, totally adrenally exhausted. And I've gone off this cliff. It's cl- burnout is like a cliff, right? You're on this, mm-hmm. it's kind of like the Grand Canyon. You know, when I first saw the Grand Canyon, I went up to it, and I could not believe the vastness of that depth and breadth of it. And it's just <laughs> like, I, you know, I, my, I was totally freaked out by the Grand Canyon. And I'd had two coffees on the way up, which I shouldn't have done. But um, I, <laughs> I was so freaked out. I was so, like, afraid at the edge of that canyon. 
and I felt like I could just fall off of it. But it's like that with burn, burnout. You don't really get a ton of cues until it's just one day you wake up and you're flatlined. Yep. And other, well, that's, I shouldn't say you don't get Been cues because I had a ton of them. I had a ton of them, but I had learned you push through those cues. You just push through right. them and then it gets better and you're okay and you get to the weekend and you relax. Right. Um, or you have you have some drinks and you you know you let it go, um, but when you can't hustle and muscle and becomes beyond your control, um, and devastating on a lot of levels, including finances, you f- you feel super out of control, and um, so that so I thought okay I've got to I the, I have no ch- I have no choices I have to surrender, and that was one of the hardest things to do as a high achiever. It would be easier to just push through and hustle and achieve my way out of it, but I couldn't. I had nothing left to achieve from or push from. So that taught me a huge amount about how if I had the opportunity to sort of start over and actually, you know, make, you know, manifest this or guide this forward, I was going to have to do it from a very different perspective, which was from the feminine and from actually honoring my body's and using my sensitiveness, sensitivity as a um, navigation tool. And I, re- I committed to it in a brand new way to both my intuition, which I was very newly developing. I did not ever think of myself as an intuitive person. But at that point, I had looked back and saw how intuitive my husband had been and how I really f- sort of sidelined his intuitive leadings that were trying to tell me something too Mm. and I felt I mean that was the worst part about the whole experience but I quickly learned oh my goodness I'm going to listen to his intuitiveness and I'm going to learn from that and I'm going to realize like I have intuitive things going on too like I'd never had physical symptoms like that before leading up to you know sort of learning it in a cognitive way what was really going on so I decided it's feminine leadership I'm only moving into a space that feels good I'm going to run that place according to what feels good and I'm going to trust that feeling of good as to to be my way forward and I'm not going to push I'm not going to force or hustle and I'm going to encourage my team to have those boundaries as well as they are all building their independent practices within our brand. And I want I know that clients can feel it. Uh, through those months, I know that my clients felt it <laughs> because they most wow. of them are quite sensitive too. And I I was like, how no am I going to affect their <laughs> experience and make them feel like they have to take care of me? That's not why they're here. But at the same time, relaxing my boundaries enough to say, you know, thank you for acknowledging that, yeah, I'm having a really hard time. And and I promise I will share more about it, but I, I couldn't right then. I was so vulnerable. I just couldn't mm-hmm. do it. Um, and I, I also wanted to be discreet about, you know, and have, you know, just be discreet and respectful because there were other human beings involved in that situation and nobody's perfect. Right. So uh, when I was ready and I felt a little more restored, I did finally share with my audience Here's what, hap- here's what happened for me and um, what I experienced and what I learned. And um, probably some of you can resonate with this. And thank you so much for your support. And I felt very 
loved and, and nurtured by my community. And I had to learn, again, as a high-achieving sensitive person, that it's okay, and as a doctor, it's okay for me to be authentic and real and vulnerable sometimes, and it's okay for me to not have all the answers and not um, use tough. my ego to direct everything because my ego got shattered. I had no ego left <laughs> to work with anyway. So I was just like, <laughs> here's, you know, I, I, but in the way that was freeing. Mm. Yeah, our, there's so many parallels to, you know, your journey mm-hmm. and my journey. And um, I remember trying to mm-hmm. hide it, uh, my sickness, my fibromyalgia, my chronic mm-hmm. fatigue from my staff because I thought, well, you know, all of we're in a small town, so all my staff were my patients. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, yeah. So I felt like it yeah. was up to me to support them. But then finally when I told them, because I, I just didn't have anything left, just like you talked about, um, they said, thank you for telling us because now we can help you. We want to help you. You know, so they'd get yeah. rid of the drug reps, you know, pounding down the door. They're like, nope, you can't see her. You know? and they would make sure right. I'd get out of there on time, and they would take care of more stuff that, that yeah. I could delegate that I didn't even know I could ask. So I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Here yeah. I thought and I had to be the probably empowering for them, too. It was. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. And, Absolutely. Um, and I love that idea of um, creating that the level of delegation you know where you're you're going to stand as really the the sovereign in in a in a certain space and you're going to empower and delegate people around you whose gifts it is to be more of the um like the the guardian angels role and to mm. embody that for you so that you can stay well and recover what your you know recover your strength and work within your genius more and i think the people who are more sensitive, again, they are going to have a very deep and rich connection to their strengths that they have to give themselves permission to play to them uh, because everything else is going to bug you like, like, or, or t- drain your energy. So for me, it's like anything to do with logistics and um, getting supplies and orders and um, making sure the clinic's furnishings are in place. Like It's all important, but it's very draining for me. And so I have to learn to give permission to trust that someone else can um, see, be, be as sensitive to the visual of that. When it comes in through my eyes, I'm really stimulated by it. So it has to look a certain way. It just does. And while, you know, the people that were renovating our space and our landlords would de- definitely refer to me as a princess. They definitely call me that. So oh, I, I was like, wait lot. a second. Yeah, right? Um, but I was like, no, I'm, thank you, but I'm a queen. <laughs> and <laughs> I love it. I'm going right? right? to behave with the same dignity and responsibility and duty of a queen, which also means taking responsibility for what I'm sovereign for and positioning those guards at those other stations, right, to protect what I really want to do in my queendom. Oh, yeah, beautiful analogy. So, so true. Wow. Wow. So that, you know, that um, analogy, you know, points to the the strategy for, you know, the sensitive soul, high achiever to really, you, you talked about going from that place of feeling good and letting that, your ability to feel and understand yourself guide what mm-hmm. comes next and what role to play and what not to do. 
You know, like I'm not a big, I I mean, I love numbers on one hand, but doing analytics and stats is like yawn. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I have to look at it, but you know. Yeah. 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 You could look at it, but you know, for aspects like that, whatever that may be, someone else can distill that into the messages that you really need to know or make a decision about. But you don't need to process those numbers in a rich way. That's not, you know, if that's not your thing. Mm-hmm. It's someone else's mm-hmm. thing. Um, and, and they'll probably be an ace at it and do it 10 times faster and better anyway. And that's, that's totally cool because with, with being sensitive and being a leader and being a high achiever, you've got a lot of responsibilities. I, I just t- talked about on a, on a Facebook feed this morning about how life can really feel like a huge ask hole. <laughs> There's like a lot of <laughs> ask. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I, I, I could like, so cool. right? <laughs> like a huge ask hole. And um, I have to decide which, which, uh, how I'm going to respond to those asks and keep my feet, keep myself grounded so that I can, um, in the way that I want to in my life, in my clinic, in my team, in my marriage, in my home, I can, um, I can be that um, energetic presence that I, that I really want to be. And I can set, you know, the power of the sensitive soul is that she or she can set the tone for her, her world or his world. Mm. Because she has enough self-care and awareness that he or she can can um, put that out into her immediate energy field around her and even psychically like you can even create a periphery around you that your energy will be well and will dwell in there and the other stuff that you don't want in there can almost like demagnetize and not come in mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. what my men- one of the things my mentor encouraged me to do is have props like visual or tactile things that I've introduced into my environment that remind me, remind me to ground, remind me to breathe. Um, right now I'm, I'm diffusing some essential oils that are really nice for me and uh, it's important to me to have a certain amount of light. Um, some people carry stones or gems in their pocket and they touch them or a piece of jewelry. You know, that's really nice for sensitive people to have a piece of, of jewelry that embodies that energy that they want. And, you know, your clients and your family will pick up on it. They, they get it. They can see when you're well and when you're thriving and vibing. And I want mm-hmm. that. I want to, I want, I have a commitment to that for myself and also for my community. Mm. Oh, so beautiful. So many times because we're sensitive souls and we feel what other people's needs are, we sometimes forget about our own needs because we learn somewhere yeah. along the line or we're programmed that other people's needs are more important than our needs. And what you're saying is that when we take care of ourselves and really sense what's going on, we can create what I call a, a positive, high-vibe, morphic field through us, within mm. us, around us, so that anyone coming into our space uh, gets elevated. So we have a vested yeah. interest to take care of ourselves. Absolutely, because, yeah, like you can't, you can't have that kind of a tea, par- tea party without pouring from a fresh hot pot of tea. There's no tea party <laughs> without your teapot being filled. And, and it's yeah. exactly that. And you can set the quality of 
light and the flavor and the aroma of that tea. Uh, but you've got to have it full. Hmm. Do you have any strategies on how to say no? Because a, a lot of the sensitive souls hmm. are having difficulty uh, saying no, and they know they're having difficulty saying no. But I think being sensitive, we want to say no nicely, and that's sometimes tough, mm-hmm. especially when we get resentful because we haven't said no when we should have. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Um, well, I can share my personal strategy around that because that was that's been a, a real tough lesson for me too. Um, mm-hmm. That what happens for me if it's a no. I feel it in my body. So usually sensitive people have some kind of sensation or experience that is their signal. And like I say, when I've had this um, life experience that my body was saying, hell no, hell no, run, get away. And I Mm. kept ignoring it. The symptoms got worse and they turn into more of a pathology. But now, for most things like let's say it's um let's say it is a a new hire so let's say there's a practitioner in our community and she really wants to come and work in our space and with our team there could be a great number of yeses on paper on her resume in the way she interviews however if i feel a no if i feel a uh that for me it's like a it's in my solar plexus and it's like it doesn't have me moving toward it doesn't have the impetus to move toward that yes or that situation or that person and if it's a yes it will be like i just want to hug them i just want to like throw my arms up in the air and like you know it it's a very different sensation in my body <laughs> And if it's a no, I'm, I've, I've committed that I will wait. Um, I may hold back on saying the words because I, I will look for those logical or cognitive confirmations, but that's not, the logical confirmations are not going to be leading it. It's my intuition that's now leading it. And that's just a commitment that I have to make over and over again in my day because, or in my uh, work because... Again, that's not the model that we were taught of how to do business or how to run a team or lead. We're taught, like, tick all the boxes, and, you know, we have the space to fill, so you better fill it, right, because you've got to maintain your, your, right? Um, And every time that I have held back and I've said, I'm just not sure, and so I'll either ask more questions and I'll follow up Mm -hmm. and find out more and then tune in and say, okay, does that give me the relief of that hesitated feeling inside me? Does that give me that confirmation or no? And that's okay. And if I don't get the confirmation and a yes, then it's a no. Because when you're sensitive, you're very tuned into all the opportunities and all the mm-hmm. good things about that person or that opportunity or that decision. You feel, you feel all the good stuff, and you want that. And we're drawn toward that. However, we have to be very tuned in and honoring of that um, intuitive or body sensation, or it could be for some people dreams, right? There could be a symbol mm-hmm. in their dreams, right? Or um, some, other, some other sign will come your way, and if you wait and ask for it, it will come. And the decision to not, the decision ends up being kinder 
to say no. And sensitive people need to realize that is the truth, that it is more kind decision to say no if no is the truth. It's more kind to tell the truth. And truth needs to be valued over some sort of more superficial pleasing or wanting to be liked and wanting to be seen as nice. And, and sometimes truth rescuing others yeah. because you think they need it. Yes. Yes, rescuing is also going to turn into resentment. Yeah. Um, and we think that in that case, it's usually about that we think that our worth is about being needed or rescuing someone. And I, you know, I've had relationships like that, that they were addictive relationships because it would be like, oh, that's okay, I'm going to show you how to be step into your potential and I'm going to help you heal and I'm going to help you um, be the best person you are and I'm going to cover up for your deficiencies or where you dropped the ball and you're, but you have to, you know, ask me for forgiveness and, you know, it would be this roller coaster and then it would seem mm. good for a while and then I'd feel like high on, yes, the person changed, they changed for me, they step up for me, I changed mm. them, but that's, so addictive and damaging and ultimately the truth is more respectful and kinder is like you are who you are and that's okay and it's um it's just not where I want to be in a you know an intimate place or in a business relationship with this roller coaster and so being saying no I mean that's ultimately that is telling the truth and what could be more kind than telling the truth? Because it sets that person free to be who they are and find what they need. And it could be the most important learning lesson when you say no, something that they're asking for, because that's not really what they needed from you anyway. And they need to provide things for themselves. Right. Oh, beautiful. And are there any words or phrases that you found like a gentle way of saying mm-hmm. no? That's a great question. Um, yeah, um, I I don't know if I have a system for that. I think it's um, individual and depending on the relationship and what's being asked. But I will say um, I will I will say something like, um, well, uh, although this you know there's really good features about this option, uh, I'm going to say no. But what I will say is you know here are some other things that would help you serve that need or here's, you know, in the case of let's say a client wants to work together and it's a no, it's not a good fit, I will simply refer them to a few really good people that I do believe genuinely that it's a fit for them. Mm-hmm. Or I'll refer them to another clinic if it's a case of a person that, who wants to work with us that's not the right cultural fit for our team and our community, it's okay uh, but it's doing them a favor to say no because they can find a situation that's really more aligned for them. Um, and so I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I just yeah, say, thanks. Um, like let's say it's an invitation, like a social invitation, and your body is like, oh, my God, no. <laughs> like for us, um, <laughs> for my husband and I both being very sensitive, we and we're in pretty high high-demand careers, um, we have realized that we usually need at least one of Friday or Saturday night off 
home, mm. no plans, nothing. Quiet mm-hmm, if we feel mm-hmm, like quiet. Mm-hmm. Walk if we feel like walking, but like no, um, no, not driving anywhere and not having anyone over to the house, even though we love our friends and we love socializing and we love our families. So we need that space because the, um, there's so much of our bandwidth is occupied in the other days of the week. And we have just developed that, okay, we recognize we need that and we want that. So, so I, I just will say I'm not available that date. How about this date? And I'll defer it, and I usually line that up to my cycle. <laughs> so I usually ah, have I've realized, smart. yeah, I usually have realized that um, that either my uh, my hormonal cycle and/or the place of men of the moon is actually a good guide to when to book more social, more plans, more active um, uh, stimuli. Let's call it because you you'll know what that feels like when you're sensitive it's like to be stimulated for me it's easier around the middle of my cycle or around full moon Mm, interesting and definitely need rest and retreat in the new moon that's that's how we roll and and my husband although he's male um seems to be fine with following that pace and that cycle that um because the feminine energy is just um, is complementing the masculine pace of life, I guess, in, in pace of society. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. that is fantastic. Oh, great, great advice there. And for those listening, uh, if you would like to call in and ask Dr. Liz a question, the number to call in is 818-514-1190. Just hit one on your dial pad so we know you have a question. And then if you are on the chat, you can also ask a question there, and I'll read it out to Dr. Liz. Um, so while we're waiting to see if anyone has any questions, um, maybe you can share with us your website and then, you know, uh, if you have any um, programs that might be helpful for sensitive high achievers. Sure. Yeah, so my website is tworivershealth.ca, T-W-O, rivershealth.ca, and that is the website for our clinical practice. So in... Uh, we are based in Guelph, Ontario, and uh, we we do have clients who, who come and see us for kind of an assessment, and then we can do telemedicine um, following up. And the perspective that I do take is a natu- naturopathic and integrative approach to primarily I treat women's health and fertility and pediatrics. Um, children's health... Um, one of one of the only focuses that I really have with telemedicine is my treatment with pandas, which is an autoimmune mm-hmm. uh, disorder secondary to infections. And uh, for those children, I do see them in the office, and then sometimes because they're traveling from a far distance, they they prefer telemedicine calls uh, from the, a lot of the follow-ups, and because a lot of their medical care is very intense as well, that works well. And then for our fertility programming, I do a similar approach. Um, and I also coach women or consult um, from any distance for anywhere, from anywhere in the world for, with my uh, congruent conception program. And that's to help uh, women find more calm and clarity and confidence in their fertility journey and in connection with themselves and conceiving and birthing who they are, even through the fertility journey and enhancing their chances of having a healthy child. 
And uh, so those um, resources are all available through our website and folks can just click on book an appointment and when you scroll down you'll see my photo and you can click on on my calendar and you'll see the types of visits that are that are available um, through clinic and through coaching and that's all that's all there for them um, I'll, uh, most of my um, our, so our, our practice is, is application-based, so I do encourage you a phone call, or so it's called a meet-and-greet or a conception confidence call for our fertility mm. tribe uh, to make sure it's a good fit. So you're welcome to do that. There's no cost to it, um, just your time and being present, and you can ask questions that you have. And I'm happy to help you understand kind of what steps would be from here forward. And then if, it's a, if you decide to work together, then we proceed with the program and with um, proper assessment and uh, treatment plan and so on. Ah, I see. Gotcha. And, and how, many, uh, how many practitioners do you have on your team now? We have 10. Wow. So, yeah, we <laughs> have 10 awesome empowered, badass, feminine leader practitioners. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Amazing. they are so yeah, fabulous. And <laughs> yeah, Yes, you have. You have. And they're amazing, and they're, uh, they're superstars, and a lot, most of them are sensitive souls themselves. And so we're all um, just, you know, we're all just in this together, and it's a, it's, it's a wonderful space, and the synergy has been amazing. And we have um, an incredible um, building and location that is full of positive vibes. It used to be a nurse's residence, and it was built oh. in 1910 after a Mrs. Forsyth bequeathed, uh, I believe it was $5,000, and said, you have to build a proper home for these nurses um, who were stationed at the hospital. And it was very rural here in Guelph at that time. So they would come and have training, and they would live on site of the hospital grounds. And they had, but they so they built this beautiful building, and they had. You just feel such positive, clean energy within, and um, it's very like inspiring kind of architecture. And um, they had, like at that time, they had cows. You know that they would milk cows for the <laughs> hospital, like for the food. Like it was, it was very, very different at that time. Um, but those who are sensitive in the community um, will say that this space, this area is a vortex. And this was told to me after I decided to rent it. But uh, it's like an energy vortex, so it's very clean energy. We have the Homewood, which is very well known for uh, uh, treatment programs for mental health. And, and we have the hospital, and we have two rivers that meet together very close by. And that's why the name of my practice is called Two Rivers Health, because where two rivers meet, I was once told that Guelph is a high-healer high town because of this energy of these two rivers that comes together oh, and uh, makes synergistic um, healing energy. And uh, also under, underneath Guelph, we have a number of aquifers and underground streams that are hidden and buried. So... I just imagine these uh, comings together of these streams and waterways as carrying away what we don't need and bringing forth energy that we do need. 
Ooh, I like that. Beautiful. Well, you know, I, I grow, having grown up in uh, Oakville, I, I never actually get, yes. went out to Guelph all that often and didn't know too much about it. My brother went to school there. But, uh, wow, I just learned something completely new about Guelph. I have a whole new <laughs> appreciation <laughs> For that uh, for that area, and uh, yeah. boy, this has been so wonderful talking to you, Dr. Liz, and just seeing what you know what you do. And um, I think the very first time I met you was on a coaching call uh, with Jen yes. Oliver and the three of yes. us. And you know, you started doing your sensing thing, <laughs> helping me out. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, she really gets me. This is awesome. Oh, thank you. That was I I, that I was a very it. memorable experience. I loved it, and I'm so glad that we get to connect more through uh, through the Wellness Leadership Academy. I'm super inspired for by what you do, Karen, and how you serve, and for, and by your message. So thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. I feel like we could talk about this for another five hours straight. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm not really seeing. Like this, maybe like you know, a sensitive soul workshop that we both do together. That would Sweet. be really cool. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be amazing and so an amazing cool. honor. And thank you everyone for tuning in. Um, and you know, huge honor to your sensitivity. You know, as Elaine Aaron describes in the book, as sensitives, you are the guides, you are the sages, like Dr. Karen mm-hmm. said, you are the seers. And society cannot move forward without us being well and having a platform for our voices and and our perceptions. And the value that that brings to your family and your work and your society is is absolutely immeasurable. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much, Dr. Liz. Thanks, everyone else, for listening in. Um, Until next time, bye for now. Lots of love. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye.